0: Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Praise the Lord. I want you to take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Austin, I'm going to switch over. Last week I ran out of battery, microphones up and doing all kinds of dancing back there in the back at least that's what they said but I didn't even see him I was kind of in the I I missed it so the last few minutes of my message last week we didn't have a microphone and you know what from by the way it turned out I don't think we needed one it was all right it was all right so this week we're going to begin reading God's word first Corinthians chapter one we're going to read several verses of scripture here so I want you to take a look follow along Beginning in verse 17, Paul writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And I want you to notice verse 18 especially. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, Is there any us in this room this morning? But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Skip down to verse 22. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. What a crazy thought. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Let's pray this morning. Father, I come to you this morning, Lord, asking your word to go forth. Asking for all distractions to be ceased this morning. Let our minds, Lord God, be focused upon you. Let our hearts, Lord God, be focused upon you this morning. And Lord, let this message challenge us. Let this message change us. Let your cross, Lord be a vivid picture in our mind this morning so that we might, Lord God, not leave here today the same as we walked in. Lord, I pray that, God, that the power of the cross would be made evident in our lives today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject the inconvenient cross. The inconvenient cross. A few years ago, I was watching TV and there was a talk show, I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but there was a show that came on television, and it was a talk show or some type of show, I don't know what it was, and maybe an interview, I can't remember, but the talk show was about people who were having affairs, these women were having affairs with married men, and they brought several groups of people, several of these ladies together, and they were sitting there talking about this, and I don't know what, why I even watched this. It was, I guess I was just in shock at the subject. And as they brought these ladies in, they began to ask for their comments, to ask them how they felt about what was going on in their life. And, and one lady responded, and most all of them did, in a very positive way. They responded positively, and they said, look, that this affair that they've been involved in, that it's been happening for a very long time, and that, and that they were very happy in their life with what was going on. And then someone raised the question of what about morality? What about the moral issue involved in what you're doing and how you're living? And instantly, one of these ladies was taken aback and, and completely offended by that question. She was offended, and her response was this. She said, wait, 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 just a minute. She said, I want you to understand something. I am a Christian. And I want everyone to know that my personal life and my religious beliefs don't interfere with one another. Then she went on to say, she said, I believe in a loving God, a God who loves me and, he, and a God who wants me to be happy. And this man that that I'm with makes me happy. So I believe my God, he approves of my relationship and this affair. I was I was shocked. And some of you are shocked. How could anyone believe that? I don't know where she got that thought. I don't know where that belief came from. I don't know where she found it. I know she didn't find it in the Word of God. But that's the kind of thinking that we hear in our world today, don't we? It's not at all new, church. It's not new. There's nothing new about what this woman said. It's been around for a very long time. You see, since Adam and Eve were in the garden, people have been always wanting to find a God who would place His stamp of approval on any type of lifestyle and behavior and thought, looking for a God that they can control. They say things like, I want my life the way it is. I don't want God to mess it up. I really don't want my life to change too much. I'm just going to add a little bit of God to it. It's that buffet mentality of, of Christianity where I like this part of the salad bar, but I don't like that. You can keep that. I'll take this, and I'll leave that, and I'll take a little bit of that. Let me have a little bit of holiness, but don't go overboard. Let me have a little bit of repentance, but wait, take it back. I'm not, that's a little bit bitter. It's too, it's too difficult to swallow. I'll take some of this, but keep some of that. And that mentality has crept into the lives of people in our culture today. You see, we come up with these euphemisms now in our culture that make everything sound all right. What used to be called living in sin and living with one another is now called a committed relationship. What used to be called abstinence is now called a neurotic inhibition. What used to be called an abomination, an offense to God, is now called a genetic predisposition. What used to be called killing the unborn is now called pro-choice. I don't need to keep going because you know what I'm talking about. We're very good at making excuses for our lives. We're good at making excuses for our lifestyles. Let me just tell you something. It's not everybody out in the world that we can point fingers at. Right here in the house of God is where, is where the examination should begin. When we consider our lives and we compare that to what the Word of God says, when we look at the cross and we consider what God has to say, I want you to know that Jesus encountered this very same attitude back in His day. When He dealt with Pharisees and Sadducees, these were the people who claimed to have faith. They tagged themselves as righteous. They, taught, they called themselves the upstanding people of the, of the community. They never missed church. They always read their Bible. They even said prayers. Most of the time, they even prayed out loud, which I can say is probably better than a lot of people in the church today. I'm sorry, I'm just going to preach at you. On the outside, they looked great. They looked like those pious believing folks but on the inside they were rotten to the core oh like the woman that that on that tv show but i'm a christian but everything in their life said that they weren't and jesus made a statement to them he called them hypocrites he called them whitewashed tombs they look great on the outside the tombstone looks beautiful it's got everything that you would want but underneath the ground is a rotting corpse There are people like that today like the lady on the talk show just as an example there are a lot of people who want god but they don't that they don't expect god to do many changes make any changes in their life they just want him to stamp approval on their life and to live however they want to choose unfortunately there's a lot of preachers and pastors who will accept that and, and condone that type of living They will even condone the belief system that says you can come to the cross and you can walk away exactly the same way as you came. You don't have to change. Nothing about you has to change. Just say some magic words and everything is good. And that's the truth. You can believe all those things. You just want God to do something in your life, but never expect anything to change. You know people like that. Hopefully you're not one of those people. But if you live that way long enough, and you believe that long enough, sooner or later, you're going to bump into this. You're going to bump into the cross. At some point, living in this culture, that claims that anybody who just walks through the doors of the church is a Christian and a follower of Jesus, at some point, you're going to run headlong right into this. You see, at one one point back in the early church, this was the entrance to the faith. When you became a Christian, this is what marked Christian faith. This instrument of death. This symbol of sacrifice. Just walking through a front door didn't mark your faith. Just writing it down on a piece of paper, or checking a box, or telling a friend, yeah, I'm a Christian, or carrying a Bible, or saying a prayer over a meal, that didn't mark faith. This marked faith. This is what made the difference. It wasn't who you associated with. It wasn't the title or the nomination that you were attending or a part of. This right here, friends, is the mark of the Christian faith. You walk into the cross when you have those beliefs. In our culture, people bumping up against the cross all the time. It's right in the way gets in the way of people trying to confuse christianity with humanism this cross-pollination of mixing christianity with everything else we're just taking a little bit of this like i said earlier and we're adding god to the mix but my friend this right here will not stir up in a bowl You can't mix it. This is oil and water. You can't mix the cross with any other system of faith or belief system. You can't mix the cross with sin. It's oil and water. It will not go together. The reason why this cross exists is because in the mind of God, God created it. That's what I want you to see this morning. This isn't some great story that somebody decided to write about. That one-up Walt Disney because this is the most read story in history. This wasn't just some good fairy tale to talk about. This wasn't something this was created in the mind of God. And you say, "Pastor, why?" Why would God do something like this? I will tell you why. Here's why. Because God says, I have to do something about sin. I have to do something about sin. I have to do something about, Scott, your sin. And your sin, and your sin, and your sin, and your sin. I have to do something about sin. It's horrible. In the eyes of God, sinfulness is horrible. It's horrible to God. Our sinfulness required God to create the cross in the first place. And that cross cost heaven's best and everything that God had. It brought suffering and death. All for the purpose, my friends, to free us from an eternal punishment and eternal life without Him that we rightly deserved. Now before you get sanctimonious and act like that you're innocent, Consider yourself. In Paul's words, he called this right here a stumbling block. He said this was a stumbling block. He said this right here to many is foolishness. what i'm doing up here this morning in the scripture paul calls this foolishness to them that don't believe people outside this church there are people here to here in this city right now today who think that you are an absolute fool for being here they think you're an absolute fool to listen to me and an absolute fool to believe in something like this this old fairy tale old archaic ancient idea that you need to step into some modern thinking and get rid of some of this archaic old mentality stuff that doesn't mean anything it's made up from a bunch of people who didn't even wear nikes they lived, they lived 2000 uh 2000 years ago and wore robes and wore a bunch of sandals around and they talked about a cross of this jesus guy it's foolishness, it's ignorance. You're stupid for even being a part of something like that. It's ridiculous. I can't believe that you have a thinking mind and you still buy into something like that. It's a thought of a lot of people in the world, but let me tell you something friends, it's true. Some may call it a stumbling block, some call it foolishness, but you know what I call it? I call it the power of God and the wisdom of God, which is what Paul says. Let me just take a few moments. And just tell you what is the cross. In your notes, there's three things that I just want to point out about this cross this morning. First of all, I want you to understand that the cross is a place of shame and suffering. That's what the cross is. It's not something pretty you can just hang around your neck, or something you can buy at Hobby Lobby and put up in your house. You know what the cross is? It's ugly. The cross is ugly. But for decades in our own culture, we've done our best to give Christianity a makeover. We wanted Christianity to become more appealing to the masses. We want people to like us. No, there's nothing wrong with loving our neighbor. That's absolutely the golden rule. There's nothing wrong with praying for the world around us. That's exactly what we're supposed to do in the Great Commission. But nowhere in Scripture does it say to change the message of the cross to something that is palatable and more acceptable to the world so that they'll buy in. We're not trying to get buy-in on this. We're trying to get belief on this. The goal has been to cleanse the faith and the word of God from anything that's offensive. Remove any consequences of sin. Remove any of the demands placed upon anybody's life. Remove our accountability from God. Remove the cross from its place because it calls us to something greater and bigger and more ugly than you can imagine. Make Christ in the cross acceptable and approved. The chief project in our world for decades has been to beautify this. Listen to me. We want to flower the cross and and make the cross go through its beautification. We want to make this pretty. There is nothing pretty about this instrument. There is nothing to be enamored about, oh, how gorgeous. And, but we sing the songs, and here's why. We tend to romanticize the events of the cross. We consider its results without remembering its cause. Even singing this morning, Bridget led us in songs, it's hard because when you're trying to, not, I did it for years, when you're trying to lead worship, Leading up into Easter, it's hard to jump the gun and get to the empty tomb. It's hard not to. I mean, that gets people excited. That gets me excited. Everybody wants to talk about life and resurrection and the next day and the light and Jesus. And everybody wants to talk about Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Yes, yes, yes. But the only way that you can live is first you have to die. And nobody wants to talk about this. We want to talk about the empty tomb, but we don't know how to get there. The only way to get to the empty tomb is through the death of the cross, the suffering and shame of this instrument. We cannot have next week until we have this week. We cannot have the resurrection Sunday until we first have the passion Sunday. The Sunday that marks the entrance of Jesus Palm Sunday, into Jerusalem for the final time. Jesus knowing that in a matter of of this, this would be on His mind. We consider its results without remembering its cause, and in doing so, we forget its pain. We forget its embarrassment. And we forget its power. It's like watching a movie. here's, Here's how we do this. It's like watching a movie for the second time. Most of you have been in church so much, so many years. You've gone through so many Easters. You know what that's like. You've seen this movie before. And sometimes when you see the movie, you've already seen the movie. There's no anticipation. There's no moment when you've never seen a movie and the and the, the, the main character is, you don't know if he's going to live or die. You don't know what's going to happen. And there is a tension that builds up in your heart and you're just like, how is this going to be resolved? What's going to take place? But if you've watched that movie and you again, guess what? That tension is no longer there because you've already seen the end. And that's why we're so eager to jump the gun because we know what happens at the end. We know He's alive. We know that because of His resurrection, we have life and because of that. But how did we get there? It's because He had... He had to go through the cross. We've seen the movie before. We knew what was going to happen. And we sing songs like the old rugged cross. Great song. But even that writer talks about how wonderful the cross is. What a glorious thing. I'm not attacking his writing, but I'm telling you what he's doing. is looking past the cross. I'll cherish the old rugged cross oh oh beautiful thing I will cling to this old rugged he romanticizes why because he is looking past the cross the cross was a place of suffering and complete shame the romans when they when they They did not just want to kill you. They wanted to humiliate you. The cross was about humiliation. It was about taking a human and making them animal. When Jesus was taken, they stripped him of his clothes. They bore his body before his mother, before his friends, Before the public, completely naked. A grown man standing before the world, naked, completely exposed. You want to say that's a wonderful thing? That's terrible, shameful to expose a man like that in front of his mother. That's the cross. That's the shame of this place. That's the shame of it. They took our Lord and stripped Him. Embarrassed Him in front of the entire world. I can think of nothing worse. It was ugly. There's been such an effort to make the cross. As severe that we can nonchalantly walk past the cross and think nothing of it. Don't romanticize your faith this morning and skip past this instrument. This is a place of suffering, shame, and death. Don't just look at the empty tomb. See what it took to get there, friends. And it will create a whole thought and preciousness in your faith. You won't treat your faith with such disregard because you'll know what it took to get to that place. A embarrassed heart, Lord. Shame to Him. Artists will depict Christ with a loincloth, some type of undergarment. My friends, they do that for our own eyes. And for the sake of modesty, but Jesus was born in front of the world for the shame of everyone to see. Tell me this is a beautiful thing. It's a place of shame. It was also not just a place of shame, but it was suffering. And pain. Those who were crucified would writhe in pain. The agony of of a crucified person upon a cross was terrible upon the ears. I want you to hear the cross this morning. There's been a few times in my life when I have heard a grown man in true pain. It is a terrible sound. It's a terrible sound to hear a grown man Screaming in pain. Writhing in pain. It is a terrible thing. It will keep you awake at night because you hear that sound and you think, oh my God. Sounds around the cross of the Lord and the two thieves upon His each side was a horrible thing. Not only was the shame bad, but the suffering and the pain that was bore upon them and upon the Lord was terrible. They took his arms, the Romans would drive stakes, spikes, iron spikes, rosehead spikes between the radius and the ulna of their arm, just at the beginning of his wrist into his hands. It would be a strategic distance between the two. They wouldn't just stretch them all the way out. They would be a strategic distance between the two so that the crucified person would stay alive as long as they possibly could so that they could suffer the maximum amount. Their feet were laid over one another with the soft part just above the foot, in between the ankle and the foot, and they would line them up perfectly so that the soft spot just to the, back of the top of the tongue of your shoe, they would take a large spike and they would drive it through that foot, both feet at a, right, at, a, at a proper distance so that the feet weren't completely extended, but there was a little bit of cushion. The knees were bent at some point so that they could keep the person alive. They did that. So when the weight couldn't be bore by the arms of a person who was crucified, they could push up with their legs against the pressure of a spike running through that nerve that passes right through the middle of the foot. And for hours, you would hear the screams of a man as he presses himself up on the cross. Doing so, To alleviate the pressure that was inside his lungs. You see, crucifixion was not a death because of bleeding, it wasn't a death because of the pain. Crucifixion was a death by asphyxiation. The weight of the body would force the diaphragm up and put pressure upon the lungs. And as the weight of the body sagged, the lungs would not be able to intake enough oxygen. And so in reaction, the body trying to to maintain life, by almost reaction, they would push themselves up and knowing that's the only way to survive. Like a person who is drowning just takes a breath and sucks in water. They know the body thirsting for air, will find some way to try to alleviate the pain. All the while, in between the ears of the person being crucified, they know what it's going to do when they try to take a breath. They know the pain that's coming. They know the destruction that's going to take upon their arms. And after a certain amount of time, when the arms and the legs have exhausted all of their strength and all of their the shoulder sockets become dislocated so that they can no longer use their arms. That moment, it's just a matter of time. The final screams of that person on the cross can be uttered much softer than the first. With very little air, they take their last. Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus endured the cross it wasn't a trivial thing. He scorned it shame. You see the cross is a shameful place. You know why it's shameful? Because God thinks of the cross the same way he thinks of sin. That's what I want you to get out of this first point. When we beautify the cross you know what we do to our sin we beautify our sin when the cross does not become a place of scorn shame and suffering then that means that we can take our sin and we can deal with it i can handle it it's not a big deal it's not shameful to me and it won't be shameful to god god sees the cross as a shameful suffering place and that's what sin is it is shameful it is a it is a stench in the nostrils of god when we break the laws of God, it offends him. The cross is an offense as Paul said in Galatians. It's an offense. The cross is a place of sacrifice. Sacrifice means giving up yourself, offering yourself, surrendering surrendering yourself. That's not a very broadly acceptable Concept in today's world, is it? You don't hear a whole lot of that. Usually what you hear is the opposite. You say, it's my time. It's my money. It's my happiness. It's my comfort. comfort, It's my preference. It's my life. Yet the cross was a place of sacrifice. Giving up oneself. Turning over oneself. Matthew Chapter 16 tells us how we are to respond to this. He says in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will, will, for me will find it. The, the cross is a place of sacrifice. When you come to the cross... You say, "I give up me. I give myself. I give my life. I give my dreams. I give everything to the cross because this is not about me anymore. This is about Him. It's a place of sacrifice. The Jews spent their lives the uh, growing lamb so that they could come and make a sacrifice once a day in the biblical days. Thank God we don't have to do that anymore." But on that day, on a hill called Calvary, Golgotha, just outside the walls of Jerusalem, Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. He gave Himself. The perfect life was traded for the imperfect life. Look around you. There's your imperfect lives. Look right here. Here's the imperfect life. I'm the one that was traded for. The question was asked by the Pharisees about to Jesus and Jesus he said rarely will a man give his life or often sometimes a man will give his life for one he loves, but but rarely will a man give his life for his enemy. Those of you who have children, would you trade your child to get him to get a prisoner? out of the Denton County Jail, accused of murder and rape, would you trade your child for that person to go free? Would you, trade, would you trade your mother or your father for a thief and a crook? Would you say, they can die today as long as this thief and crook will live? Would you trade your friend, your best friend, would you trade someone... So that someone else... That is sacrifice, friends. Jesus did it for us. That's what He did. It's a place of sacrifice. Because of that, it's a place of salvation. Romans 5.17, source, By the trespass of one man, which was Adam, death reigned through the one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace And of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the other one man, through the one man, Jesus Christ. Sacrifice. Salvation. The old self is crucified. You're saved when you come to the cross. When you take up your cross, you you can get saved. You say, well, you know what? I ain't running from nobody. Ain't nobody chasing me. You know what's chasing us all? Death. It's on your heels every day. You just may not know it. And you know what? He may be closer than what you think. Driving down 35 with some of you maniacs, I know he's closer than some. He's saving us from death. He's saving us, and here's one thing that I know that he's saving us from. He's saving us from ourselves. Some of you know what it's like to be addicted to something. You find yourself in a hole, and you think the only way out is to keep digging the hole deeper. As human beings, we have a great tendency to know how to really destroy ourselves, we know how to find the worst path. We know how to find a way that's going to mess us up. We don't think it will, but we choose that path and it ends up in a train wreck. We have wrecked so many trains in our lives. That's what salvation does, is it comes and saves us from ourselves. It's a place of shame, suffering. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of salvation. So how do we respond? I'm going to close with just these points. We respond in various ways. How do you respond to an inconvenient cross? Matthew 27, verse 39 says, Then there were those who passed by, and they hurled insults at Him, shaking their heads. Save yourself, they said in verse 40. Come down from the cross. If you're the Son of God, just come on. You think that you're all that? Get off of there. Let's see it. You're a liar. What a joke you are. Look at you. How pathetic. You claim to be something. You can't even get off that cross. You let the Romans take you. You're not worthy to be followed. You made all these promises. And look at you. How sad. I can't believe these people even believed in you. How pathetic they are to believe in somebody like you. Look at you. Your face is totally rearranged. What a mess. Mocked him. They hurled insults at him. You see, sometimes people respond by choosing to just walk by. They'll throw their, they'll throw their, their words and they'll throw their insults. At the cross, you people, you go to church, what a waste of your time. Spare me all that extra stuff. I live in Realville. All that stuff is hooey. I mean, all the preachers they are a bunch of crooks. All they want is your money, and you're stupid enough to give it to them. can't believe it but you would go to someplace like that that is the walk by they're the passers by they throw insults they 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 throw all kinds of of, of word bombs at, and they just make their statements but they keep on walking by they don't want anything to do with the cross i don't want it to be a hazard in my life i don't want it to get in my way i'm just going to stay my distance i want to get around it i have no use for it that's what some people respond to this today Matthew 27, verse 35, talking about the soldiers who crucified him says, And when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Some people, instead of walking by, you know what they do? They get at the base of the cross, like these soldiers, and they start playing games. They start playing games with the cross cross is right there in front of them. You know what they're doing? They're throwing dice to see who's getting getting what of Jesus' clothing. There's a lot of people in the church who play games with the cross. They get close, they get near the cross, but they don't want to honor or reverence the cross. They don't want to honor or reverence the sacrifice of what's going on. All they want to do is just play games. I'm in a little bit. Give me some of that. Come on, come on. I hope it turns out in my favor. And that's what they want. They just want everything to roll in their favor. And when it doesn't go in their favor, guess what? Game's over, man. I don't want no part of that. Promise didn't come true. I guess I'm out. Everything I've been praying for is not turning out. I guess, uh, you know what? Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. I'm done. People come to Jesus, and they want to play games. They want to say, Lord, I'm going to bow my knee, and this is how they bow their knee. All right, okay, was that enough? Is that enough? Let me try it again. I'm back, I'm back. Okay, all right, how was that? Was that all right? Did I I get enough? Did I get low enough then? Yeah. Boy, I feel better. I feel better. Got that load off. I went to the cross. Now come on, let's go. Are you with me? Are you with me? Everybody see that? I went to church Sunday. I read I read three verses this week. Yeah, come on, let's go. Let's go. I got other things to do. I got better things to do. Playing games with the cross. Playing games with your faith. It's just a part of the day. It's just a part of the week. i got better things to do than that. That's nonsense. I mean, I'll give a little bit of Jesus, but don't ask me to sacrifice like you did. That's too much. Suffer? Absolutely not. You just give me all the good stuff. I won't think about the cross. How about I just think about the empty tomb? Oh, that's good. Mm. Whew. Some people will play games with the cross. They'll play games with faith. And they'll sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus this week. And then next week, I'll think about it. I won't turn back, maybe. No turning back, hopefully. Some people ignore it and they try to move it. Today, there's a lot of you who've looked at this thing and you're thinking, I know, I know what you thought, Pastor. Why in the stinking world did you set that cross right there? Why did you put that cross right in the way? Don't you know we got to do church? Don't you know Bridget's got to stand up and sing? Don't you know you've got to preach? That cross is right in your way. Anybody with me? How many times do we say that in our life? That cross is right in my way. Man. There were times when I was growing up as a teenager. I had heard messages on the cross. I would heard messages on the salvation and on repentance. And you know what happened to me? It ruined me. You know why it ruined me? Because I knew too stinking much to have a good time. I'm sorry, but if you've been to this church and you've come here very long, guess what? You're ruined. As they would say in Oklahoma, you're ruined. You weren't. And the reason why you weren't is because you know what this is. And you know that you can't run from it. You know that wherever you go, you're going to be running right into it. And you're going to try to pick it up and move it. But it ain't going to go nowhere because the cross is here to stay. Get that thing out of the way. Move it out of the way. It won't move. It doesn't go. The cross is solid. It's not going to move. It stands for forgiveness. It stands for repentance. It stands for cleansing. It stands for hope. It stands for healing. This is the cross of Christ and it's not going anywhere. Hallelujah. My God, I feel like preaching today. trying to live your life like you want it to be, the cross is going to stand right in your way. Oh, it's in your way. And I'm glad it's in your way because you're going to bump your head on it before you leave the door. If you're trying to run from God, the chances are You'll run headlong into the cross before before you get yourself up out of your seat. Why? Because the cross is the road sign of God. Our culture has lied to us, told us that whatever we want, whatever we want, whatever we like, whatever we wish for, we can have it if we just stay the course. You want happiness? All you need to do is you need to just go after it because you deserve it. I mean, the kind of person you are, you deserve to be happy, and you should have it. You don't need Jesus, and you don't need the cross. How absurd would that be? Some's going to try to ignore it. Those same soldiers that gambled for his clothes. The next verse in verse 36 says, And they sat down, and they kept watch over him there. They just sat down and got used to the cross being there. Let's just chill right here for a little bit. All right. Jesus is in agony. It's a nice day, and they got everything else on their minds, but what's happening right there in front? We can come to church with a world on our minds. We've got, we got plans. We've got dreams. We've got all these things. And everything else is on our minds except for what has miraculously taken place. Some people try to ignore it. Try to move it. Then, some people will kneel before it. You see all morning long, Bridget, myself, everybody that's you trying to move so you can see the screen, you, you've you tried to move, you, you've done your best to get around the cross because, to be honest, this thing right here has been a distraction for some of you. Sitting right here, all this stuff, it's been a distraction. I cannot tell you that it hasn't been to me because I'm having to step over and make sure I don't trip. It's been a distraction to some. It's been an impediment to others. You can't see the screen. You, you can't see what Bridges is doing. You can't see what the singer... You, you know, it's been an impediment. You, you, there, it's been in your way. The cross is it's in your way. And it has absolutely been inconvenient because I like to move around a whole lot more than what I'm having to do right here. It's an inconvenience. It's an inconvenient cross. Right in the way! But you know what the, tro- the cross does? This illustration this morning, you know what it has done? It has changed us. It's changed the where, where Bridget had to stand this morning. It changed how I preach this morning because usually I like to move forward and backward. It's changed that. today. It's changed how you see the stage. It's changed your attention. It's changed everything. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of the cross. It's an agent of change. An instrument of change. (laughs) It's an instrument of change. You try to move it. You try to get it out of the way. But the power of the cross is to make a change in your life and in mine. That's what it does. It changes everything around us. Everybody, it changes us. As I stood there and worship, the Lord laid this in my heart. He said, I want you to close like this. There's only one way that you can make the cross. You can, there's only one way one thing that you can do with the cross it's going to be right in your way everywhere you go there's only one thing that you can do is this that's it now i'm free to move i'm free to move this is it right here. I can walk where I need to walk. It's not in my way. Right here. Come on, somebody give the Lord praise. This is what you do to the cross. Somebody stand up on your feet. This is what you do with the cross. How do you respond? This is what you do with the cross. You don't look at it. You don't talk about it. You don't sing about it. You pick it up and you carry the cross. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord praise, church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, in this place this morning, I pray as we're standing, Lord, on our feet, that if there is anyone in this room, Lord God, who needs to bow themselves before the cross, that sin has overwhelmed their heart and they know it, and your Holy Spirit is convicting them right now where they sit. They know. Walking in sin, that they're separated from you, their fellowship has been broken. They know that you said that the wages of sin is death, that there is no hope. They can make they can try to out to 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 make excuses, they can try to talk themselves out of it and justify their life but Lord God I pray that your Holy Spirit would burn through all of that smoke and mirror stuff that the culture tries to tell them oh I'm a Christian but I can live how I want to live let me tell you Lord let them run right square into this cross this morning Lord don't let them escape the true reality of what the cross is Lord it's an agent of change it changes you you can't come to the cross and walk away different or walk away the same you walk away different you can't come to the cross of Jesus Christ you can't kneel on an altar and walk away the same person. You are different. Your actions are different. Your words are different. Your thoughts are different. Your attitude is different. Your heart is different. You're changed. The cross is an agent of change. They have sin, Lord God, I pray that, Lord Jesus, that they would repent. They would turn their back upon the sin and they would turn their face to the cross. And Lord, they would ask for your forgiveness to come over them. Forgiveness of lust. Forgiveness of lying. Forgiveness of, of, of addictions. Of life-controlling things that they have allowed, that they have accepted. Forgiveness of those things, Lord, that comes through your cross and sets them free. They're no longer bound by addictions of pornography, but Lord, they're free because the cross has set them free. They're not bound by by a yoke of, of perpetual sin, Lord, but they're free. The heaviness of darkness is lifted because of the cross. If you're here this morning with every head bowed before we leave today, Every head bowed. If you're here, you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Because I have seen the inconvenience of the cross, but today I come, and in my heart I kneel before it. If you're here today, you'd raise your hand, you'd say, Pastor, would you just pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Yes, young man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. Hands all over the room. We're making room for the cross this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, hear their prayer. Hear their prayer. Right now, I want you to call upon the Lord. I want you to just call upon the Lord. I'm not, I don't believe in these repeat after me prayers. I want you to pray a prayer that comes straight from your heart, not out of my mouth. You pray a prayer and say, Jesus, I know what I have done. I know where I am at. Forgive me and change me. Change me, Lord. Don't just let me feel better about myself. It's, not, it's Myself is the problem. Would you just pray right now? I want to pray with you one more time, and then we're going to take the Lord's table as we go. Lord Jesus, touch those. Lord, those who raise their hands right now, Lord, let them see, oh God. Let them see the reality of the sacrifice that you made. Call your sin out right now. Just say, Lord, this is what I've done. This is where I'm at. My heart's cold. I've walked away. Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. Make me pure. Draw close to me. That's what Jeremiah said. Draw close to God and He will draw near unto you. Thank you, Lord. It's about the cross, friends. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.